Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. To this is your sporting life with Peter Donegan. And it's that time of the week again. Great to have your company for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. And today we celebrate the life of one of the great players in the game. 264 games for the Mighty Hawks, a three-time premiership player, all sorts of accolades, including the Australian Football Hall of Fame and a coach of some note too. My guest is Peter Knights. Pete, lovely to see you. Pete, likewise, great to be here. And we are actually recording this at Waverley Park. It's the home of the Hawks now. It's changed a bit over the years. Yes, you wouldn't think it's the same place, would you? I mean, the Sir Kenneth Luke stand is still here, the eight bays, heritage listed. Yes. So that's now the home of the Mighty Hawks, has been for the last 11 years. But outside of that, um, those stands and where that car park area used to be all replaced by homes now this new suburb called Waverley Park so yeah you wouldn't even get a resemblance really from what it used to look like. Now I want to ask you two questions uh, to see whether there's any relationship between the old Waverley and the new Waverley. Do you still have your own rain cloud out here? Yep absolutely. Okay uh, that's good. It's got all the big W's windy, wet, yes. wild, occasionally an H, a bit of hail mm-hmm. as well, but yeah, it's still very much in that rain belt. This place does hold a very special part in the history of the Australian game though, doesn't it? Yeah, well it does. You know, I mentioned that this Sir Kenneth Luke stand is heritage listed, so I don't use that flippantly at all. Um, this is where it all started, as we know, when we used to come out here and play two or three times a year, every club. This was like the, the mecca of footy, even maybe more so than the MCG, which is a bit hard to imagine. But but yeah, look, when it all started um, back around, what was it, 19... 1970, 1970, I think it was. I think it was. Yeah. And then we think back that the last game that was played out here was about 1999, I think 2000, there was a, a VFL grand final. But it also does hold a very important part in Hawthorne's history yep. because the one and only grand final that was ever held here yep. was a very memorable day for the Hawthorne Football Club. Yes, well, it was, and it just so happened that it happened to be the West Coast Eagles yeah. that we, we took on out here. And look, I wasn't... Uh, directly involved with the footy club at that particular time but it was when the MCG was being redeveloped here we go with a grand final out here not many people even know that like I talk to our players and our new staff that come here and I tell them about the history of Hawthorne and I say to them we we had a grand final out here the one and only grand final out here and that was the famous day of the Batmobile and Angry Anderson at halftime it's almost significant that the one and only grand final that was played here the premiership that was won 
Hawthorne, and this has become our home uh, of the last 11 years. So where did the football journey begin for Peter Knights? Yeah, a long time ago, Pete. I'm a dairy farmer's son from Gippsland, and when I was in year 10 at Druin High School, played in a game at Glen Ferry. Like, back in those days, it was all about zoning. So you were recruited to a club only if that club had your zone. You lived in that zone. So I was in Gippsland. Hawthorne had the Gippsland League. They also had the Mornington Peninsula League. So a pretty good couple of leagues. There was a schoolboys game played in the school holidays. I was actually the captain of the country zone, if you'd like. Happened to be a guy by the name of Lee Matthews that was captain of Hawthorne's Metro Zone. We played against each other. And, of course, the country boys won. I often remind Barney of that. (laughs) We were both awarded a Hawthorne Guernsey after the game for being the best player, respectively, for the country zone and the Metro Zone and invited to do a pre-season at the end of that year. And I was, like, I did that pre-season and I was just 16. To survive that pre-season, Kennedy Commando era... I uh, thought this would be great, bit of experience, take it back to my home club, play some senior footy down there, but never got that chance because uh, we got a phone call a couple of weeks out from the season starting. Uh, Mr and Mrs Knights, congratulations, young Peter has made the senior list at Hawthorne. In fact, we'd like you to come down and see him presented with his first Hawthorne Guernsey. The rest was history. So I was just starting in year 10 as a 16, 17-year-old soon at Druin High School travelling backwards and forwards in a taxi to training twice a week. Mum and Dad getting the milking off on a Saturday night to bring me down on a Sunday. So I did that for two years uh, in those early days. And then by the time I was about to do my final year at high school, John Kennedy Sr. said to Mum and Dad, I think young Peter's going to be here for a while. I reckon he should come to Melbourne to do his final year of schooling. So that was pretty intimidating because I hated the city. Because uh, I, you know, just coming backwards and forwards from the farm, so I moved down then and lived with a family that I'd never met before. They became like a second family. My last year of schooling was at Camberwell High School, and that was my third year at Hawthorne. Premiership year, 1971, with the Mighty Hawks. I played state footy for the first time. It was a, a memorable year in more ways than one. So what was more intimidating, Pete, having to come down to the big smoke, down yep. to Melbourne, or going into that dressing room yep. and seeing some of those names in there? Yeah, look, I was always a Hawthorne supporter as a kid, Pete, and um, kids at school used to say, why do you barrack for Hawthorne? They never win. they got shocking colours. Um, <laughs> but I'd always barrack for the Hawks, never, never saw them play. Um, but I'd barrack from them from afar because, again, as a dairy farmer's son, you just can't get away. But I had idols, and at that particular stage, like I can remember listening to the 61 grand final premiership, um, the likes of John Peck, who was the vice captain in 61, and Graham Arthur, who was captain. They were my heroes, and to listen to them on the crystal set on the farm... Mm to think maybe one day wouldn't that be unbelievable that's just a a dream that's so far away but then prior to me coming to Hawthorne in 1969 of course that was the time when like David Parkin was captain we had Peter Crimmins here we had Peter Hudson here uh, Bob Keddy, Desma to come down to this club all coached by the legendary John Kennedy you're right, Pete. That was the most intimidating thing mm. at all. And as a young, quiet, shy and really naive country boy, this was just a different world. 
different world totally. Did the Blondes gravitate a little bit together? You mentioned the name of Peter Crimmins. He had yeah. a bit of an influence on you as, a, as that shy young fella coming into the football club, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Um, he was very much a mentor, took me under his wing, Crimo. Uh, a, a wonderful person, a great Hawthorne person. Look, typical uh, of the Hawthorne spirit, uh, cheeky, um, asked no quarter, gave no quarter, skillful, wonderful clubman, but that sort of player around a club that played a lot of practical jokes on everyone else, just a real a real clubman. Um, but at the same time, uh, he was uh, a senior player, took me under his wing as this shy country boy, and, of course, we know the, the story of Peter mm. Crimmins, which has had a huge bearing on my whole life, that Peter Crimmins story. But, but his courage just typifies his spirit, the spirit of Hawthorne. So Crimo was one of those blondes, like Ian Bremner was another, that made me walk toilets and a half-back with him on a half-back flank. Uh, Brian Doog was another. It was, uh, I don't know what it was, but it was something that a few of us had. And there was no lemon rinse. Uh, it was all natural. <laughs> but look, it, it, they were great, great years back in those early 70s for me. And that's where I virtually learned it all from, those senior players. Where was your first game, Pete? First senior game was at Moorabbin. Played at centre-half forward against Ian Sinman. Was it muddy? Yeah. What yeah makes, fancy why do you say that was surprised? Uh, I don't know. It just must have been the one day at Moorabbin that it was that, muddy. Well, further to that, I missed the next two weeks because I got a cut in my hand. It became infected <laughs> in the Moorabbin mud and I missed the next two weeks with an infected hand. True story. But that was my first game uh, halfway through 1969 down at uh, Moorabbin. I think uh, both Lee and I played six senior games in that first year. The rest in the reserves at, uh, and we'd turn 17 by this stage. You talked about 1971 and being at the football club in a premiership year. You didn't play in that premiership. When I think back to the 71 grand final and I was there as a very young man, a few things flash into my mind. Bob Ketty in the yep. last quarter. Yep. Cowboy Neil fixing up Peter Hudson earlier yep. in the day and the blood streaming from his ear. And then, of course, those moments with Hutto late in the game where he was going for Bob Pratt's record. It was one of the most memorable grand finals of all time, I think. For me, it was... I was in my final year, year of high school. I'd had a fantastic year. It was really the year that I entrenched myself as centre-half back. In fact, it was the first year that I gained interstate selection. And I went and played in Perth at Subiaco at centre-half back. We won. I won the Simpson medal for best on ground. But I came back, played school footy at the same time for Campbell High. I never missed a game the whole season. Um, but then, of course, in the semi-final against St Kilda, which I tended to do a little bit, went up for a mark, crash landed, hurt my knee, subsequently missed out on the, uh, the grand final and, of course, the premiership. So, yeah, I was sitting in the stand on grand final day. And, look, we all know that people say... You're a part of it. Nightsy, you help them get there. You're as much a part of it as the, in those days, the 20 that are out there on the field. People around the social club that night, back at Glen Ferry Oval, they're patting you on the back. Well done, you're a part of this. But it's very lonely because you're not. And at such a young age, I thought, I'll never get the opportunity again. I was pretty disappointed, obviously, at, at missing out just rap for the your teammates and the club but at that particular stage you sort of think will I ever get an opportunity again but it was a, a memorable game even watching in a stand uh, I know we've seen some tough grand finals over the time but 
1971 Hawthorne St Kilda and we were traditional rivals Alan Jeans versus John Kennedy um, tough uncompromising style and it was last man standing such was our Hawthorne St Kilda games anyway I used to take on Barry Breen we had some unbelievable contests centre half board versus centre half back there were so many of those contests on the day out on the field Hutto Cowboy Cowboy's fist just happened to get in the way. Or maybe Hutto's head got in the way of Cowboy's fist. I think fist. it did, yes. I think that's what Cowboy says. I think so too. And <laughs> Hutto to this day says, my only premiership, and I can't remember it. Yeah. Can't remember a thing about it. And, of course, we know that Hutto had an opportunity to break Bob Pat Pratt's record. He equaled it with, I think, four goals. Mm. But he was just playing on memory. But it was such a, a tough game. Bob Ketty, you mentioned... Kanga said to him at three-quarter time, stop fiddling around, get down to the goal square and do something. And Hutto, you get up the field a little bit, try and uh, kick us a, a winning goal. Uh, but Bob Ketty, of course, came back and I think, what, he kicked three or four in that yeah. last quarter and uh, virtually won the game for us. So, yeah, a memorable game. Um, 71, 61 to 71, it was Horse, the Hawks' next premiership. Always a disappointing one for me in saying that personally. But it did sow a seed for me to, geez, I want to taste this. Hopefully I'll get an opportunity again. And we'll talk about those opportunities after the break. But just before we go to the break, you talked about the reason that you missed. And that was because you flew for a mark. Now, that was your trademark. Yeah. We all have this mental picture of Peter Knight's flying high for a mark. Did anyone ever say to you, you've got to have a bit more regard for your own personal <laughs> safety? Yeah, well, they did, Pete. There's no doubt about it. But as you know, you've got a strength. That's your string to your bow. If I'd have taken that out of my... Um, repertoire well I didn't have the big physical brute strength I wasn't a gorilla type center half back I was uh, an athletic running jumping type of player that played with that sort of flair I guess and versatility and that was the consequence of the of the type of game that I had there were a few crash landings and I did miss a few games to injury but the highs easily outweigh the lows Pete and uh yeah, great memories. We'll talk some more about those great memories and the fact that you did get another opportunity not too far down the track, but it was also a very sad time for the football club as well. Peter Knights is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives for more than 80 years. Back with more with Pete after the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. A very special edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives and Peter Knights is my guest. Pete, you talked about the disappointment of 71 and missing the premiership. Grand finals were to come and to come pretty quickly after that. But as I said, it was a sad time for the footy club. We've spoken about Peter Crimmins and it was in the mid-70s when we found out that uh, he had a terrible disease. Yeah, look, Crimo, I've already mentioned the significance of Peter Crimmins, not just for me personally, but for Hawthorne. Um, 75 was a, a year that we'll, we'll never forget because, well, Crimo, by this stage, he was our captain. So you, you can imagine the esteem that he was held in from a Hawthorne point of view. He'd already been a premiership player, but he was a, a marvellous rover, courageous Um during that 75 season, he uh, he picked up this groin injury. We weren't aware of what that groin injury was, but 
to sort of cut it back a little bit. It was found that he he had a swollen testicle, and when that testicle was removed, it was found to be cancerous. So he had to go through the chemo and the treatment, and that was a big shock to us all. But but cancer at that stage in the mid seventies, it, uh, it not a lot was known about it really. So most of us thought that the testicle will be removed and the cancerous testicle will be removed and knowing Crimo being so tenacious he'll fight back and get back into fitness and be back playing towards the end of the season which he was mm. he was back playing towards the end of that 75 season and, and as we know we were leading into a, a final series and Crimo played a few of the games back in the reserves and was playing really well we get to the grand final um and we're about to play North Melbourne. The talk was about selection, as it always is around grand final time, whether our captain is going to come back into the, the side. Through sentiment, a lot of us thought he'll get the nod because he'd proven himself on the track. He'd proven himself in the reserves from a fitness point of view. Yep, he's our captain. Imagine the inspiration. And there's no doubt that John Kennedy felt that way as well, but he to this day puts his hand up and says... I wasn't game enough to go with my hunch that he would make the difference. From a, a health point of view, we weren't game enough to take the risk of playing him. So you can imagine what a tough decision it would have been. So Crimo didn't play in that 75 grand final. Did that deflate the players because of mm. all the emotional energy that had been invested in his comeback? Possibly. Look, I can only speak personally, and I, I know being so close to Pete, I was certainly surprised and disappointed. But I had another motivation as well, that I didn't get an opportunity in 71. He was an opportunity. I wasn't going to let it slip. In fact, you know what? We need to win this for Crimo. So from my personal point of view, and I'm pretty sure a lot of the other players know, well, we need to come together here, but we need to win this for him. In that last quarter against North Melbourne, I don't think anyone could have made a difference because they just got on a roll. They'd never won a premiership before. Typical Melbourne people support the underdog. The crowd was unbelievable, the noise in that last quarter, and they went on and they thrashed us. And... Uh, People said it was an unHawthorne-like performance that we threw in the towel, um, but not taking anything away from North Melbourne, they were great. But we were poor, and it did sow a seed. Kennedy said, I can understand Hawthorne people thinking that we didn't have a go. I know we did, but it looked that way, and we've got to start preparing here and now for next season. And as it works out, we're going to play North Melbourne again in the 1976 Grand Final. But sadly, by that stage, Crimo had not only got very ill, not only did we know by this stage that he was never going to play footy again, but as 76 went on, uh, he was so ill that his life is being threatened here. And of course, as we get to the eve of the, the grand final, it was talked that Crimo might be able to get to the game. Some of us that were close to him still hadn't seen him for a number of weeks and didn't realise how gravely ill he was. So we've gone out there, we get a telegram just prior to the game from Crimo saying words to the effect, it's going to be the toughest 120 minutes of your, your life, I'll be there every inch of the way. And the rest was history. So the motivation of what happened in 75 wasn't in my mind. Here's a chance to play in my first premiership, wasn't in my mind. This was always going to be 
about Crimo. And of course, we went on and won the game. To this day, it's known as uh, Crimo's Cup. And you spoke about earlier, Pete, um, about a Premiership Cup being stolen and taken away mm. after that cup had been presented to our supporters at Glenferry Oval that night, after we'd taken it to the social club to present to our social members. Half a dozen of us grabbed that Premiership Cup, put it in our cars, and we went out to Croydon. Got Crimo out of bed. He was just a, a human skeleton, put on a wig, got him in the chair, put a rug around him, relived every kick, mark, handball with him until exhausted. A couple of hours later, he, he went off to bed. And there's that famous photo. Yeah, it is. You know, and there was six of us that that were very close to him were were there sadly he passed away a couple of days later and there's no doubt in our mind he hung on yeah. until that grand final and that premiership and as i said to this day it's known as crimo's cup his legacy still lives on so so strongly here at this footy club our best and fairest is a peter crimmins medal our gymnasium is a peter crimmins gymnasium our players, our staff have to put up with me in an induction, knowing about the story, the legacy of who Peter Crimmins is, what he stands for and his significance. A very special premiership for all sorts of reasons, but any premiership is special. Yeah. You were lucky that there are a couple more still to come. There was. So look, there's nothing like your first one. And under those circumstances, it'll always be the most emotional and the one that I'll remember. But then, yeah, I was fortunate that I got another opportunity again in 78. We had an incredibly strong team through those mid-70s. 77, we probably underperformed. We lost a prelim final. I think it was to Collingwood, Pete, uh, yeah. actually. And then North Melbourne and Collingwood went on and played in played the, the draw. The draw and yeah. premiership. Um yeah, we, we were certainly equal to both those clubs, so we had a chance to go back-to-back -back but couldn't deliver. And again, then we have a change of coach come 78. David Parkin comes, who was our premiership captain in 71. He comes and takes the club to a new era of professionalism on and off the field. And then probably it became a bit Collingwood-Carlton and, and Richmond thrown yep. in there for a few years, but there was another mountain still to climb just a few years down the track. Yeah, well, it was. Um, and, and David Parkin finishes at Hawthorne and Hawthorne appoint someone from another club, um, which was a little bit unheard of in that era from a Hawthorne perspective. You know, the great and late, sadly, Alan Yabby Jeans was appointed coach of the Hawks in 1981. And by this stage, Lee and I, who'd started all those years ago in 1969 together, we were captain and vice-captain, respectively. And the first thing that Yab said to us, um, Nightsy, Barney, want you to take on more responsibility. Yeah, well, yeah, we're captain and vice-captain, we understand. No, want you to be the go-between the coach and the players and tell us about what the players are thinking, give us an insight into the way things are going at training and, and matches, want you to be mentors to the younger players. So Yabby, virtually, the first thing he did was introduce what we now use. The term is leadership group. Mm. Um, you know, everyone talks about leadership groups now. Well, Yab introduced that at Hawthorne back in well, 1981 when he came here, that we as senior players had to take more responsibility and be that go-between and almost make sure that we help discipline the younger players and show them the Hawthorne way. Yab was an amazing communicator. He changed our entire game plan. By this stage, Lee was in a forward pocket. I'd been moved from centre-half back to centre-half forward to try and help nurture along the youngsters like a 
uh, at Brereton and at Dunstall. Um, we had a guy by the name of Chris Mew that we could move off a, off a wing. He could stand in at centre-half back. So it was a new generation of young players. And in 1983, from Lee to be captain and I was vice-captain to be a part of the, the, the next generation as we're finishing the next generation... Um, was wonderful and of course we uh, won the premiership in 83 but sadly we got our backsides belted and our pants pulled down by the Bombers in both 84 and um, 85 as well. Yeah the famous 84 last quarter oh. Sheedy's moves throwing the magnets around the board and just coming okay. up with that incredible last quarter. Yeah well look last quarters in grand finals can go either way a side gets a run on and there's no stopping them that momentum and we found that with the Bombers certainly in 84 and and conversely, you think it's done and dusted and you sort of don't fight as you should because there's no tomorrow, yeah. there's no next week that you need to start preparing for. It's done. And Essendon just got that sniff and uh, and went away with it. But that was my last year as a player, 85. In fact, I, um, I was struggling towards the end of the year with knees and injuries and um, played my last game with the Hawks in the 85 grand final in the reserves. We played Carlton and we had a win and the senior side um, played the Bombers and the Bombers uh, were far too good, but that was my last game. Stayed on at the Hawks the following year in a part-time assistant coaching role. And that was a, a great year for me to be sitting in on match committee, being an assistant coach under Alan Jeans in a premiership year when the Hawks beat Carlton in the premiership for um, 1986. And that was my final year here at the Hawks before I headed north to yes. be the, uh, the inaugural coach of the mighty Brisbane Bears. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a moment. But just on your playing career, you will forever be linked with Paul Vanderhaar and some of the battles that you had. Was he your toughest opponent? Was he the man that you relished playing? Was it like Carey and Jakovic, that rivalry for you and, and Vanders? Look, it probably was in the mid-70s. Um, I'd been around for seven or eight years at that stage and played against, like my early years, even played against the legendary Royce Hart when he was finishing off at centre-half forward, you know, against Bernie Quinlan, against Robert Walls, uh, Mark McClure. I mean, every club, every side had, a, had an amazing centre-half forward. So they were great clashes and you knew every week that centre-half forward centre versus centre-half back was going to be a, a pretty great clash. Mid-70s, there was this young up-and-coming superstar with the Bombers called Paul Vanderhaar. Um, he was taking on everyone by storm. Unbelievable performance. Um, we played against one another in a game out at Windy Hill in 78. I didn't know at this stage, but Vander growing up was a Hawthorne fan. Blonde-headed young boy. Which number did he have on his back, Pete? 18. Well, at Essendon, but he wore 24 on his back, barracking for Hawthorne Oh, as a of kid. course, yes. So all of a sudden, he's coming out against his hero. Um, I'm thinking, I'm not going to let this young upstart <laughs> do me in. I've established myself at centre-half back. And on this particular game out at Windy Hill, the two of us, um, we virtually had a shootout. Mm. And it was in an era where there were so many contested marks as well, pack marks, and the two of us really went head-to-head. And to this day, I say to Vander, mate, who, who won? Who won on the end of the end of the day? On the scoreboard, who won? Well, Hawks won. So I must have won the contest, <laughs> obviously. But Locke would say it was pretty even. But yeah, he played a similar style of game to me, and that's why we're still great mates today. 
you have rivalry of that era and Hawthorne Essendon, unbelievable rivalry, mm. but such respect. You know, some of those Essendon players that we played against, Danaher and Madden and Watson and Vanderhaar, such good mates. Um, but at that time, the rivalry on the field was pretty strong. It was a brilliant era, and everyone who watched it at the time enjoyed it as well. You touched on the fact that you were about to head north. We'll talk <laughs> about that when we come back on the other side of the break because I suspect that there is a bit to talk about when you're headed north. Peter Knights is my special guest. On This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, serving families across Victoria for more than 80 years. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. Great to have your company for This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Peter Knights is my special guest. Pete, you talked about the fact that you were around in 86 for the premiership year behind the scenes at Hawthorne, but life was about to change. You were about to head up to the Sunshine State. Well, initially I wasn't actually. I'd sold up at home. I got a job. I was about to go into a coaching appointment in Adelaide mm. um, with Central Districts. Um, but uh, received a phone call before we made the move out of Melbourne from, um, from a mate that I used to know down in Gippsland actually and play footy against. His name was Shane O'Sullivan, who's mm. still to this day. Yep, still at Carlton. He's still at Carlton, one yeah. uh, another one of the great survivors and, and a great friend over a lifetime. Shane O had just been appointed the general manager football of this new team, this new club in this new national competition. Queensland was going to have a side playing out of Queensland. Um, oh, I didn't know a lot about it. This is only October this is happening, this conversation. And look, to make a long story short, I sort of said to Shano, where are we going to be playing out of? Oh, we haven't got a venue to play out of just yet. Or where are we going to be training? Where's our training base? Oh, we haven't got a training base just yet. Um, okay, well, what's our name? What, what's the club colours? Who are we going to be known as? Oh, we don't know. We, we don't know. Okay. Who are some of the players that we're going to be coaching, that I'm going to be coaching? Oh, we haven't got any players yet. This is five months out from season 1987 getting underway and I'm thinking wow I needed to talk to some people to get some reinforcement and of course the people that I spoke to my three coaches at Hawthorne John Kennedy David Park and Alan Jeans what do you reckon am I ready after just one year of being an assistant coach am I ready to take on this enormous challenge and they in a heartbeat said absolutely it's going to be so exciting, the opportunity to start up a new club from scratch. Not many get that chance. Absolutely go for it. And virtually that's how it all started, five months out. And look, Pete, we were just nomads. The way in which we got our team together, there were no draft concessions. We, we were given virtually nothing. The VFL, AFL at the time took the $6 million license fee and basically that was it we then were left to our own devices we had no training base we had no home no no gymnasium no facilities at all uh, to make a long story short that first game when we played North Melbourne five months later to kick off the 1987 season who are we going to be playing this new Brisbane Bears North Melbourne who was coaching North Melbourne at the time John Kennedy mm. So for me, here am I coming up against the greatest man that I've ever known in footy who had set up my whole pathway. The Brisbane Bears by the media said, no, nah, they'll never win a game. 
never win a game. And as history tells us that night, and it's amazing what emotion can do. And the players that we did get, I'm just so proud of them. They, they had a lot to prove because they were considered to be rejects, not wanted. Um, just a group that came together as a foreign legion. But they had something to prove. And on emotion, they just showed just that. And we won that game against North Melbourne. Then we've gone down to Geelong, down to Cadinia Park the week after which is known as a pretty unhappy hunting ground, even to this stage, down yeah. at Geelong. And we've beaten Geelong as well. How good's this coaching caper? I'm pretty thinking. easy, you'd be thinking. <laughs> I was soon brought back to earth yeah. once the emotional and the adrenaline started to, to wear off a little bit. But we still went on, won six games in that first year. And when you think about the timeline we were given, the concessions that we didn't get, the facilities that we didn't have, absolutely no support whatsoever from Big Brother. Um, that that group of players and coaches did a pretty fair job. But there was one thing, Pete, that you did have that other teams didn't have, and that was you had two chairman of selectors because you had the official chairman of selectors. And then once you picked a team, sometimes other people would tell you who was playing in the team. It was an era of private ownership, Pete, mm. and only those that have been involved in an era such as that understand what we're talking about here. And I, I suppose when you've got entrepreneurs so used to putting their hand in their pocket to buy or achieve whatever they would like, we know in footy you can't manufacture and buy tradition and, and in history. And when you get to a stage where you're being told, look, these players, we brought them here, they're an asset... And under no circumstances are they going to be running around in the QAFL, the Queensland Australian Footy League, or the reserves. They're playing in the seniors. No matter how well they're playing, how poorly they're playing, they're to be playing senior footy. It's your responsibility, you as coaches, to get them playing well enough that they are going to produce in the senior side. But as we know, in footy, you've got to earn your respect and earn the right to play. And when a player's performing poorly, not playing well, down in confidence. You need to go back and play in the reserves to regain your form, fitness, confidence. Even if you're Warwick Kappa. Even if you're Warwick Kappa. Even if you're... And, and we were told there were four players that under no circumstances can you omit. And, and, and the four were Warwick, Brad, Brad Hardy, our captain Mark Micken, and our... Um, key player Roger Merritt they were the four Roger came the second year didn't have to worry about the majority of that quartet but there was an occasion with Caps he was so down in confidence that he needed to go back and regain his confidence and I went over the head I went straight to the top to a guy by the name of Christopher Scase who was the bank roller um, over the chairman's head and I said look We've just got to play caps in the reserves. We can't. If we're trying to get any form of values going here in our footy department, we can't continue to carry someone that's playing poorly because we're being told by the owners, if you'd like, that he can't be playing in the reserves. He said, yep, understand. So I then went over our chairman's head, who at that time was Paul Cronin, mm -hmm. and played, played caps in the reserves. And that, without doubt, was the beginning of the end for me and some of our other coaches as well. Did you realise at the time that was the moment where your position basically oh, became untenable? No doubt, because we were told in no uncertain terms that, uh, no, you can't do that. We're, t we're telling you. We're paying your, your salary. This is where you're at. So there's no doubt we knew. But from a footy perspective, 
if this club's ever going to have values and a base of which they need to build on, this is this is what you do. This is what you've got to do. So it, it went without doubt. We're steadfast. This is what we had to do. So last question about Brisbane. When they won their flags in 01, 02, yep. 03, did you feel part of that? A little part of that? It's interesting you mention that because I, I certainly wasn't back at Hawthorne at that stage. Uh, and I got a phone call from my good mate, Barney, who was up coaching. And he said... Um, would like you to come up and uh, present the Guernseys to our players. I said, oh, that'd be a thrill. That'd be fantastic to come back and present the Guernseys. And he said, and I want your message to be, tell them about what it used to be like back 87, 88, 89, 90 when you were here coaching. So my message when I was presenting those Guernseys and Lee wanted it to be this way, that you guys now have got everything at your fingertips, facility, resources, um, depth of talent, now's the time. So actually prior to that first premiership, I presented the Guernseys at the beginning of that year. So obviously, yes, I felt that I had a little bit to do with that in a very, very minute way. And I keep reminding Lee of that, that I did all the hard work. <laughs> I had all the adversity. I virtually created the base that he just came in and took over and won three premierships. Our final segment's coming. We'll talk about a bit of a homecoming for you as far as the coaching ranks are concerned and also your other involvements in coaching in years gone by. Peter Knights is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals. 23 chapels across Victoria and online at tobinbrothers.com.au. Back to wrap things up with Knightsy on the other side of the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. Our final segment with Peter Knights on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Pete, you got to coach Hawthorne. Was that the end of the journey, the wheel turning full circle in your mind? Yeah, look, no doubt. Uh, once you finish playing, it's a natural progression that you love the game you'd like love to go coaching and, and I've always enjoyed it right up until I've just finished at the end of 2016 coaching somewhere somehow which I love doing but to be given the opportunity to come back to your club and, and I know it was a really difficult era and we all know what was happening around Hawthorne around 94, 95, 96 in that respect in reference to the merger what mm. was leading up to the merger I got an opportunity to come back and coach Hawthorne and there was no doubt I was told financially we're strapped you'll have limited resources. Look, I'd have paid Hawthorne a few dollars to be given the opportunity to come back and coach them. What I loved to do was spend time with young players and, and help them develop. And that's the greatest thing about coaching, to see young players developing. At that particular stage, there were young players like Croft, yeah. for one, um, you know, Daniel Harford, Jade Rawlings, Angelo Leckis, Raiden Tellis, Nick Holland, players that went on and played over 150 games, life members of this footy club that I had a lot to do with in their infancy years. Certainly from a, uh, a team perspective, my second year, which was my final year, we nosedived badly and I'm a realist and I thought, you know what, I'm going to be challenged here to be able to be recontracted and that wasn't, wasn't the case. And Kenny Judge was then appointed as the new coach of Hawthorne and I was totally supportive of Judgey and a good mate of mine, sadly, recently passed mm. away. But uh, it was such a huge honour, huge thrill 
to be asked to come back and coach the Mighty Hawks. And subsequent to that, you coached in Tassie. You've yeah. coached young men a lot, the Vic Country team. Yep. You've really enjoyed your involvement, as you say, in nurturing the younger talent in the game. Yeah, Pete, you know, I had time down in Tasmania for four years coaching down there. And when, when I finished coaching at Hawthorne, I got an opportunity not long after that to come back here. Ian Dicker said, Knightsy, want you to come back. We need someone like you around the club that's had experience in the corporate sector. I was sales manager at Nike for about four years in between coaching Hawthorne and coming back to Hawthorne. want you to come back in a role that sees you looking after Hawthorne people, making them feel wanted, making sure they're not taken for granted. So he encouraged me to come back. But at the same time, I knew I couldn't continue to full-time coach anywhere because of my role here at the club but I was able to get involved with Vic Country and coach representative sides then for the next 18 years under 18s under 19s and then for the last eight years their senior side and again um, in providing them with an experience and to be able to see and help them with their development has been uh, yeah something I've really enjoyed doing. And what about family life these days? We know you've had your family challenges. How's all that going now? Yeah, no, look, family, um, look, the other night we had an, a huge night at the Hawthorne Football Club and I'll be forever in their debt for inviting me as a player 49 years ago. Um, and it all culminated the other night with me being elevated from the Hall of Fame to legend status. And... All my family were there, whether it be mum and dad who hadn't been off the farm for so long to attend this particular function. And for the family to be involved in that unbelievable honour uh, of being inducted as a legend or elevated to legend status, it was so humbling, but I was so proud and just so rapt to be able to have all my family there for them to be a part of that elevation. So, yeah, we're a pretty close family, always have been, and I can say that all is well, Pete. Might that be your proudest moment, Knightsy? The fact that that is a, a lifetime with yep. this football club recognised. Premierships are wonderful things, best and fairest yep. and individual honours along the way, but to be recognised for a lifetime of work, is that it? Is that the pinnacle? I think so, Peter. Uh, and, look, I, um, I said to our staff at the club, I said to our players, the thing that I've like 36 years as a coach, as a player, as an administrator, I've been here. And the thing that I remember more than anything else and that I treasure more than anything else are the friendships that I've achieved, um, that I've gained over that journey. You've mentioned some of the other peripherals, but the club has always been about people and I've had so many friendships that I will have for a lifetime, and that has certainly been the highlight. You're one of a rare breed, Pete, because not only are you revered by your own football club and the football clubs that you've been associated with, but for those of us who are old enough and lucky enough to have <laughs> seen you play, I think you were generally revered by football supporters in general. You are always going to be in the mind's eye of people who love football. That magnificent mark that you always took, that wonderful athleticism, it's been a pleasure to relive a great career in football. Peter Knights, thank you very much. Thanks very much, Pete. It's been a pleasure. Peter Knight's joining us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can catch us next week, same time, from 7 o'clock, right here on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. 
It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.